0: Message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. And um, let me begin by expressing my confidence that the Holy Spirit is already speaking to everyone watching this video. What I want to show you today is that He is speaking to us so that our eyes open to the life that God has already prepared for us. Because this morning we are going to see that being who God has called you to be starts with seeing whom God has called you to be. You know, our oldest son, Christopher, he'll be 28 this year and about 25 years ago uh, when he was very young, um, my sister, Anya, who lives in Dublin, came up to visit us and she didn't know Christopher very well and, uh, or even the level of conversation to have with a three-year-old. So she was asking him some questions, sat him down, was asking him questions, favorite color, does he like football? And Christopher was sort of answering with one-word answers, yes, no. <coughs> Eventually. Uh, to try and encourage him she said, well isn't this wonderful Christopher, we are having a conversation and we never forget the answer that three-year-old give to her. He looked at her and he said, you're asking me questions and I'm giving you the answers but that isn't a conversation. You know I've thought of that incident many times down the years and I've wondered about the level of my conversation with the Lord? Have I, and most of the church, settled for a word here and a word there, when all the time there was a level of conversation, a depth of communion, a oneness of union, and knowing him that we never grew up into? Now last week and the week before that, and probably the week before that, I have mentioned the parable that we know as the prodigal son, that strange story that Jesus told of two sons who both appear to have spent years totally underestimating the love and generosity of their own father. They knew him, but they didn't know him at all. And you know, after last week's message, a good friend contacted me and he was blessed by the message, but he was also laughing because he said, Phelan, every message I hear of yours, you always end up back at that story of the elder brother. And he must be right, because look, here we are again. So today, just for my friend, I'm going to come clean about why I just can't seem to talk about much else except this elder brother not knowing his father and spending years working away to try and earn what in fact had already been given to him. I talk about it all the time because I sense the Holy Spirit talking to me about it all the time. It's as if he is continually calling me upward into the truth that he sees, that there is a level of communion A deeper conversation, a higher life, a greater joy, already available to us as believers, but we have hitherto not risen up or grown up into it. Years ago we used to watch an Irish comedian called uh, Jimmy Cricket. Do you remember him? Can you remember his catchphrase? I think it was, come here, there's more, or sometimes just and there's more. Now I believe the Holy Spirit is continually entreating, inviting the church to come here, there's more. Now you might say, well, where exactly is here? Here is the reality that heaven sees because of Christ and Him crucified, resurrected, and ascended. Here is the union of Christ with His church, His body. Here is the heavenly reality that the Holy Spirit is calling the church, every believer, to grow up into. Your life, hidden with Christ, in God. Here is heaven's eternal reality, which as we saw last week in the example of Saul of Tarsus, is a reality that can be summed up as what is true in Christ. Now remember we saw that from the earthly realm, Saul on his way to Damascus is a threat to the church. But in the place of prayer, a disciple called Ananias effectively hears the Holy Spirit say, come here, there's more. And as he prays, the Holy Spirit opens Ananias' eyes to see Saul as he is, from heaven's perspective. The Holy Spirit effectively says to Ananias, Can you see what we see? Can you see who Saul is? He is my chosen instrument. But his eyes won't open to that reality until someone declares that reality to him. So you, Ananias, are to go and tell him who he is, that he might believe who he is, and be who he is, God's chosen instrument. Being who God has called you to be starts with seeing whom God has called you to be. Now what I didn't say last week is that there was one other person that day who was called up higher by the Holy Spirit to see who someone was from heaven's perspective. Acts 9 tells us that Saul himself was also praying and while he was praying he was shown a vision of Ananias coming and praying for him to receive his sight back. God's Spirit tells all this to Ananias and through those words Ananias doesn't just get to hear who Saul is, he gets to hear who he is in God's eyes. He is the one called to carry heaven's reality to Saul. Here is the reason why the Holy Spirit will not stop speaking to the church of heavenly things, of what is, because of Christ and him crucified. Because still today someone has got to go to all the modern souls of Tarsus out there, all those who are living as enemies of God and see them and speak to them the Father's view and opinion of who they are. God's call on their life. You know from an earthly perspective that is such a ridiculous, foolish and dangerous thing to do that the church can only be equipped to do it by first seeing who we now are in Christ. Children of God, those who carry his power and authority to speak from the heavenly realm, and so let the kingdom of God, God's will, be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Through the speaking of words from the heavenly eternal realm, the realm of the spirit, being who God has called you to be starts with seeing whom God has called you to be. You know, throughout the scriptures, before the Lord asked anyone to do some great thing for him, he first convinced them that they were the person he was calling to do this exploit, and he did that by calling them by a certain name. In fact, he used the same name over and over again with Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, David, and a host of others. He said to them all, go, for I am with you. Now, can you hear the name he is calling each of them, who he is declaring them to be from heaven's perspective? You are the one I am with, so go. Being who God has called you to be, starts with seeing whom God has called you to be. Take Joshua as an example. Why would someone with his military background, a seasoned commander, why would he follow such an absurd tactic to take a city as marching your army around it seven times and then shouting at the walls? I mean, that's ridiculous. He did it because being who God has called you to be starts with seeing whom God has called you to be. Joshua did it because the Lord first opened his eyes to see what heaven was seeing as the truth about Joshua. Before he'd done one thing to conquer that city of Jericho, the Lord came to him and his first words were, See, Joshua. See, I have given Jericho and all his fighting men into your hands. Now, we're speaking this morning about being called up into a higher conversation, a greater communion with the Father through the Spirit In the Son. And when the Spirit of God speaks to us, His words call us up into a higher reality, that we may live from a higher view of our life, the view of our Heavenly Father. And that's why in this present crisis, no matter what terrible things appear to befall you, you will never hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you as a victim. For in Christ you are not living under your circumstances, but above the circumstances of this world. For in Christ, neither what you have done nor what was done to you defines who you are Christ and him crucified defines who you are you are the one the father has withheld no good thing from the one to whom he says you are always with me and everything I have is yours now I believe someone listening to this needs to hear these words in Christ you are never a victim in Christ you have been accepted by God and if God has accepted you what does it matter if the whole world rejects you So people have rejected you. So what if Christ has accepted you? Now you might say, well, Phelan, you're not giving me much sympathy there, are you? Absolutely. I mean, as we saw last week, sympathy will only leave you where you are. It is compassion that will lead you out. And God is compassionate enough never to join you in your pity party, but call you into his victory party for you. Now you may say, well, that sounds like you're just telling me to get over it. No, I'm telling you that in Christ you are already over it, and I tell you that, that you may set your mind to think from there, over it, to think from heaven's reality, about you, because here is what heaven sees about you. All the rejection in the world can't hold a candle to the acceptance you have in Christ. Now you might reply, well, that's okay for you to say that, Phelan, I mean, what would you know about rejection anyway? try pastoring a church for 16 years. (laughs) By this stage, I could have a degree in rejection if it wasn't for the grace of God, who came and spoke to me words that broke the stronghold of rejection that the enemy was trying to imprison me in. What did he say? What were the words that set me free from seeing myself as a victim? Son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. Luke 15, 31. You know, in that parable of the prodigal son, Those were the words Jesus put in the mouth of the Father as he pleaded with the elder brother to leave a life of waiting to be blessed and instead enter into the blessing already provided, the life of a perfectly loved son. Those words set me free from a lifetime of waiting for a better day and a better life and opened my eyes to the enormity of what I already have in Christ. And the reason I keep coming back to Luke 15 is that I am persuaded that there are multitudes of people out there just like me who are spending their lives trying to move a father who has already moved heaven and earth to give us all that pertains to life and godliness, all that we need to live the life God has called us to live, the life of a perfectly loved son, the life of Christ. You know, earlier I pointed out that both Ananias and Saul were in the place of prayer when the Holy Spirit opened their eyes to see as he sees, to see what is in Christ. For anyone who is now in Christ, the primary purpose of prayer is not to speak to God as if he either doesn't know or doesn't care enough about our problems to do anything. Our aim should not be to pray until God moves. Our aim should be to pray until our eyes open, to see what we are praying about from his heavenly perspective, for to see as he sees is to see the truth of what is, the truth of who we now are in Christ, those from whom God has withheld no good thing. For as Romans 8.32 declares, "'If he give us a son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things?' There is another little word there, isn't there, which the logical earthly mind stumbles over, the word freely. The more you are striving in the place of prayer in an attempt to move God, the less you have believed that word. And this is where our elder brother religious work ethic blinds us to the truth that our Father in heaven divided his living amongst us, give us all he had, not after we had worked it or prayed it out of him, but before we had any record to present to him at all. For God demonstrated the radical, otherworldly, heavenly nature of his love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we had done nothing to earn it, that was the time God give us all he had, and according to Romans 5, 6, that was at just the right time. For if he had waited and only given in response to something we did, we could not know him for who he truly is, the God who freely gives. His generosity, his giving to us, is on such a seismic scale that we have no reference point in it in this world that we can measure his giving by. I mean, the spirit of this world, what seems reasonable to us, given our experience in this world, is that there's no such thing as freely. I mean, the world believes there's no such thing as a free meal. Everybody wants something in return for their love. But those born from above have been given the spirit that comes from God, that we may know the things God has freely given us. 1 Corinthians 2.12. The magnitude of which no natural eye has ever seen, no ear heard, nor any human mind ever conceived of. For only God's spirit can reveal how much has already been given in Christ. This is not some new gospel, this is the old gospel of the new creation. You know, the Holy Spirit has been saying to the church for 2000 years, don't say he hasn't heard me yet and he hasn't helped me yet. But one day if I pray long enough or work hard enough, I will be forgiven and I will be blessed and I will be healed. Don't say one day he will help me rather live each day in the truth, in Christ, in whom you have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Let me quote you from 2 Corinthians 6. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, see, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, the devil doesn't mind Christians believing that God is about to bless them. For he knows that most Christians live their whole lives believing that God is about to bless them. And so never learn to enter into the day they are in as the day of God's blessing. The day of his presence with them. I think that's worth saying again. The devil doesn't mind christians believing that god is about to bless them for he knows that most christians spend their entire lives believing that god is about to bless them and so never learn to enter into the day that they're in as the day of god's blessing the day of his presence with them now i began by saying that i believe the holy spirit is continually saying to the church come here there's more and here is our position in christ the union the communion we have with our father through the spirit In the Son. But why is he continually saying this? Why the urgency? Why does the Holy Spirit want the church to rise up, or to use the language of Ephesians, to grow up into Christ, into a level of union with the heart and mind of God that we have not risen into? Well you know the simple answer, I believe, can be seen in the words of a famous evangelist from the 19th century, D.L. Moody. He wrote these words, the best way to show that a stick is crooked is not to argue about it or spend time denouncing it, but to lay a straight stick alongside it. That's good, isn't it? Let me put that another way. No one who has been brought up in darkness knows what darkness is until they see light. If we want to see more people come to what the New Testament calls a metanoia, a repentance, to wake up to the truth that they're living separated from God, then in the same way that someone can only know what darkness is when they see light, so too I believe the world can only see that they're living in separation from God to the degree that they see the church living in union with God. We've been talking this morning about what that union, that communion looks like in the life of an individual. It looks like freedom from your past, from all you have done and all that has been done to you. For at the cross, Christ disconnected you from your record, your self-made life. You know, but if I was asked, What does that look like corporately? How should the church look like if she rose up more into this communion, grew up more into her union with Christ? I would have to say that I cannot see the church growing up into Christ without that manifesting on the earth as less division in the church. The present level of division in the body of Christ with thousands of different denominations and groups, many birthed in the hurt of a division and strife, it's a testimony to the immaturity of the church to the fact that much of the church is only operating in natural, earthly vision. For when you can't see your union with Christ, you certainly can't see your union with his body. For being who God has called you to be starts with seeing whom God has called you to be. You know, many of the great prophets of old, like Isaiah or John the Baptist, in death they were dismembered or decapitated. But in his death, Christ's body was never divided, and still isn't, for all those who see and live by the Spirit, by heavenly vision. When Jesus told that story of the elder brother who did not know the love and generosity of the Father, you know, Luke 15 tells us he was actually speaking to Pharisees and scribes who had been scandalized and angered by the fact that Jesus was receiving and eating with tax collectors and sinners. In other words, that he was refusing to relate to people on the basis of their righteousness, but was in fact freely giving himself to anyone who would receive him. Now, later when he sent his disciples out to represent him, his final words to them were these, freely you have received, freely give. See, Jesus knew that the offense over this truth that he freely gives his life to all who will come to him, that offense would be greatest among the elder brothers, those of us who had worked the hardest in the fields of religion to establish our own righteousness, our right to heaven. Now in our minds we have shackled God's generosity, his blessing to our performance and thereby shackled ourselves to our own earthly soulish life which cannot see what we already have because we cannot see past what we appear to need. The Holy Spirit may be saying, come up here, there's more. But all us elder brothers, we're saying, no Lord, you come down here because we don't seem to have enough. Many of us have lived this way for years in the church and it has left us vulnerable to every new wind of doctrine that blows through the church, promising us that God is about to bless us as never before. It just takes one more good push, one more mass prayer meeting, one more 40 day fast, one more financial offering, preferably a more painful one, and then God will bless. (laughs) You know, there's a game show on the television like that right now at the moment it's called Tipping Point and uh, in it the contestant answers questions to earn coins to put into a machine that could pay out a lot of money if you manage to put the right coin in the right place at the right time. I don't believe God is like that. I don't believe that he's such a poor father that he needs us to move him, to cajole him into being a better father, a better provider for us. You know, as I was preparing this message, at this very point I thought to myself, oh Phelan, that sounds a bit strong, you know, maybe you should clarify what you mean. So I wrote these words. This doesn't mean I don't believe in prayer, or fasting, or giving. But as soon as I wrote that, a strange thing happened. (laughs) I just immediately felt the Holy Spirit check me. For some reason He wanted me to look at those words again. And I just knew that there was something about that statement that the Holy Spirit wanted to talk to me about. It was as if he was saying, I don't want you to say that. And, and I was saying, but why not? I mean, all I'm saying is that I b- do believe in prayer and I believe in fasting and I believe in giving. What's wrong with me saying that? But the more I read back those words, the more I knew that God's spirit was trying to show me something. And suddenly I knew what he was saying and it shocked me. And it will probably shock you. Yet the moment I heard it, I knew it to be true. And I knew he wanted me to say it. So although it's a strong statement, I'm going to say it, for I believe that there are people listening who need to hear it and be set free by it. Let me tell you again what I was saying to the Lord and then how the Holy Spirit responded. I was saying to him, all I am saying is that I do believe in prayer and fasting and giving. What's wrong with me saying that? Here's what he said. Phelan, it's just that so many in the church believe more in prayer and fasting and giving than they do in me. Whoa. You know, as I took that in, I was reminded of something Jesus said to the religious of his day, recorded in John 5, 39. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. You see, it's quite possible to get so focused on what you're doing for him that you miss right in front of you the answer to all your prayers. God with you and giving you all he has to give. This was the experience of Martha, wasn't it? On the day when Jesus came to her home, in getting so caught up with what she was doing for him, she distanced herself from the answer to all her prayers. God with her, giving her all he had to give. Church, The longer we delay taking our seat with Christ in God, the more we end up living like Martha rather than Mary. We end up a people speaking to the Lord as if it is His doing that we have estranged ourselves from His presence because He hasn't got round yet to doing what we think He should be doing. Jesus told Martha that Mary had chosen the better position and it would not be taken from her. Mary had chosen to sit with Christ, to sit in the presence of God, to see Him as who He is, the one who is with us and giving us all he has. You know, churches can become like kitchens, places where we go to cook up something to serve God, hopefully something that attracts his presence. Well, just look what has happened in lockdown. All the kitchens have been closed. They've been closed now for months until further notice. I believe we have before us then a divine opportunity to come out of the kitchen long enough to discover his presence in our homes, our own homes, our own lives, for it was never God's will that his presence be either confined to a building or a program or a denomination or confined to some time in the future after we've all done enough praying or serving to attract him. Now I'm sure the elder brother did great work in the fields for his father. I'm sure he worked hard and that the hedges were perfect and the plowed furrows were straight, the cattle were well fed, I'm sure the fences were in great condition, But at the end of the day, he was still a son living, in his own words, like a slave. I am equally sure that we can have our churches looking well and attractive, the prayer meetings regular, the services well ordered, the charitable giving commendable, respectable, the social outreach commendable, and everything a testimony to hard work and sacrifice. But alas, ours, not his. All the sacrifices of the elder brother only caused him to live like a slave because he had shackled himself to his own earthly record. But then the father came out and he entreated him to enter in to what had been prepared for him. Perhaps he said, come here, there's more. Because this is what the Holy Spirit has been saying to the church for 2000 years. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. In an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is. The accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I began by saying that there is a level of conversation of communion with the Father which is more than just a word here and a word there. This conversation takes place in a heavenly language that the Spirit leads the church up into. It's not the earthly religious language of separation, but the heavenly spiritual language of union. It is a language of sons, not slaves. The language of those who see themselves from heaven's perspective as already hidden with Christ in God. And for the sake of a world blinded by the darkness of separation, the Spirit is calling the church to enter fully in to the life God has provided, a life lived in the light of our union with God. For how are people to know what darkness is if they never see light? To know what separation is if they never see union? I believe the Holy Spirit is calling us the Martha Church to take our seats with Christ in the heavenly realm, a position prepared for us called, hidden with Christ in God. Yes, there is a work to be done, but that work must reveal to this world the Father that Jesus revealed, the Father who does not withhold his presence from us, but who freely gives himself away. Jesus still sends his church out into the world with the same instruction. Freely you have received, freely give. But the church still remains only as effective and freely giving to the extent that we remain freely receiving. And the first thing we must receive is our identity, the name the Father calls us by. For it's only those who go in His name that carry His authority, His presence. Being who God has called you to be starts with seeing whom God has called you to be. So, church let us hear and freely receive the name the Spirit is calling us by. You are the one who is always with me and everything I have is yours. So go and bring what is in heaven onto the earth. How? By preaching the gospel of what is freely given, that it might be freely received, the life of a perfectly loved son, the life of Christ. God bless you. Music